0: Now the story of the letter of Romans is that the God of the Bible has enacted a plan. He's enacted a plan to put a broken world back together again. Because at the fall, humanity was blown apart as we, as we walked out on God. So in came war. War between us and him. War between us and one another. and War which means we don't need to be taught how to squabble. Or to fight, or to argue, or to manipulate, or to want to control people. It just comes naturally to us. This is a world of war. And all of us, Paul has said, do this. Each and every one. It's as if there's a disease and we're all infected. We all, as he put it, fall short of the glory of God. And so in chapters 1 to 3, if you remember, he made that case very clearly. We're all in the same boat. And because we've all sinned, so we all need a rescuer, someone to come, and, to come and reunite us. Someone to come and deal with this war. And so Paul makes the claim that Jesus has done that, as he writes Romans. Once and for all, Jew and Gentile united together. Those who trust him are a new humanity in the church, this, this body of Christ. But it's hard to live in that kind of body. And we're still sinful and we're in these bodies. And so God has given us his spirit to help us to live new lives. To help us to live together as the body of Christ from all kinds of backgrounds. And so Paul is quick to remind us that we're to love one another. Why? Because God has loved us. And we're to serve one another. Why? Because he's served us. He's gifted each of us. So that we serve one another. We belong to one another, he said. And why live like that? Well then a cynical world looks in and says, what's going on in the church? What is it with these people? Why do they do that? How do they do that? People from all kinds of backgrounds, with all kinds of stories, against all the odds, genuinely seeming to love one another. Look after one another And they begin to ask questions Where does this power for living come from Why is it that Christians are different Jesus said By your love for one another All men will know that you're my disciples It's not your cleverness Or your eloquence Or snazzy light shows Or white suits But it's, it's the strength of your relationship That's what the world will see And you can't fake that sort of stuff that is God working in you. It's when you provide a meal for that family going through the, through the mill. It's when you work hard at preparing for junior church on a Saturday night because you love the kids that you're going to teach. When you give generously because you want to resource the body to reach and to train people. It's when you don't push your agenda and your little ideas because you value unity in the church. And it's not just doing enough to get by on a Sunday, but it's right through the week. That's what it looks like. You love them well. So the drumbeat that again and again and again Paul has played through Romans is that unity matters. Love genuinely matters. Because it shows the world God's power. Which is why in verse 17 to 18 particularly... Paul is so solemn because we see, first point, gospel unity endangered. Verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. Such people aren't serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the minds of naive people. what's Paul talking about? Who is he talking about at the end of his letter? Well, do you remember a few weeks ago in chapter 14, do you remember the problems there, these divisions between Jew and Gentile, the the weak and the strong? Maybe that's the obstacle. So uh, Gentile Christians who stand on their rights at the church summer barbecue because they want steak and they want sausages and they want burgers. And they say to their Jewish brothers, just tuck in, it's fine now i have going got to worry about pork now. But the Jewish Christians, they are offended. These guys are putting obstacles in their way. They've spent their whole lives obeying the food laws. And then these Gentile Christians who have come to the party late just say, I can eat whatever I want. That doesn't make any sense. These food laws don't just go out of the window overnight. They take time. And you take them, Paul's letter in Romans, and you show them the bit that Paul is talking about. These Gentile burger eaters. Have a a look at chapter 14 with me. See what it says. Do they listen to you? No, they don't listen. Do they love those who are offended? No. Do they value unity? No. They've just got their rights to stand on. They are insisting on their own way in this secondary matter. So that there's disagreement, there's division in the church. The body is weakened. And when they divide churches, what is it they're doing? They're pulling apart what has been united by the cross. They are undoing God's work of uniting a divided humanity. They can put together a pretty good argument for it. Verse 18, they're smooth talking. But ultimately, they're not serving the Lord Jesus. They're serving their own appetites themselves. And Paul says, be alert towards people like that. Be on your guard against them as they cause divisions. And we look around and we think, well, who are these people? Which is the right question to ask, but it's also right to ask... Am I that kind of a person? We're not just to be on our guard against people like this. We're to be on our guard against being people like this, it seems to me. Maybe you're the one who's causing the issue because we all have it in us to, to be divisive in church. We've all got things that we like to push. And Paul says, when we're doing that, then we're not serving him. We're serving ourselves. You can have very strong views and think about, to think about what is being done in church. You think things should be done this way, for this reason. I've heard of a number of people, just this last week you have strong views on how things ought to be done in church. But it's great to ask the question, what, why do I have this agenda? Why do I want it done this way? Is this what is best for everyone? Is it what is best for the cause of the gospel or is it just... Me, my preference, perhaps my personality or my upbringing or how I think things ought to be done. Be on your guard against those who cause divisions. Be on your guard against your own hearts. The challenge too is we listen to those who are teachers. It's why you must not listen to me uncritically. That's why I often encourage you to keep your Bibles open. Not just being pedantic there, but I want you to check out what I'm saying to see whether it's true or not. It's why even if someone's a, a vicar or a bishop or an archbishop or whatever it might be, we're not just to blindly accept what they say. We must be able to challenge our teachers. We must be very careful of leaders that we're not allowed to critique. It's very dangerous. Be discerning. Ask the question, is what they're saying true? Is it in the Bible? Is it, is it for us today, under the new covenant? People might have bad motives. They might be well-meaning. But unhelpful teaching can, can destroy churches. Divisive and dangerous. And look at verse 20. Do You see, at root, this division is spiritual. Ultimately, it's not from man. Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I think what Paul is saying here is that behind the person causing disunity is standing Satan. Satan, who loves to destroy God's gospel work, loves to disunite churches. So take care when you push your agenda on what you think is best. I take it too, it's why we need the second half of verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. That is what helps to put our plans aside and to keep churches united and together. To live in love. To demonstrate gospel unity. We need his grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus. So firstly, the danger there in 17 to 20, the gospel unity is being endangered. Jesus has brought a people together. And yet, there are folk trying to pull that apart. Second one, gospel unity is demonstrated. And we saw much of this last week, so I'm not going to be too long in these verses. But just notice two things with me. Notice, firstly, that 16b kind of belongs in here, too. All the churches of Christ send greetings. You see, unity is not just within a single congregation, a single gathering. It seems we're to have a wider scope of unity. It's between different congregations too. seems to be why Paul says that, I think. This is the body of Christ macro, big, rather than just a little congregation. It's one of the reasons why we're a part of the FIEC, the, the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. FIEC. Because we believe in independency, that is... We believe it's closest to what we read in the New Testament. Individual churches get to decide on who their leaders ought to be, how much their leaders ought to be paid, or on matters of discipline or, or of policy of how you run a church, perhaps how you structure your church. We believe it in independence then, rather than any kind of external organisation or body deciding these secondary things for us. But we also believe in the importance of partnership with others. We take verse 16b seriously, that there are other churches of whom we're to have relationships. It's one of the reasons why I'm excited at the moment by the FIC. For those of you who, who know these things, it's exciting because there's direction and vision and they're, they're doing something at the moment. In the past, people used to joke that the F in FIEC stood for fiercely. Fiercely independent evangelical churches but it's fellowship and more of that is being seen and lived out there's partnership going on there's direction we've, even just in Oxford we've got this Oxford training partnership which is trying to use our, help our ministry trainees in different churches to train them and to grow them and to develop them and to send them on it's why as well this South Central Gospel Partnership is a good news too that's just recently been formed. It's local churches who agree on foundational stuff, wanting to work together to equip and resource one another for, for reaching this area, for training others to send them. So this isn't just unity within a single congregation. This is a slightly bigger picture. This is churches relating together. But secondly, notice just how seriously... Paul takes these greetings from other people. There are real people with real names who send their greetings. So verse 21, Timothy, Lucius, Jason and Sosipater. Verse 22, Tertius, who's been describing Paul's words. He's good handwriting. Verse 23, there's Gaius, Erastus, Quartus, Quartus. And we thought last week of the incredible interconnectedness that we have in the world at the moment. We've got emails and mobiles and Skype and FaceTime and all this kind of stuff. International travel, which is so easy. Which means we've just got a great opportunity to be blessed by and to bless other churches. Christians around the world, this technology can bring us together for good. We can easily send greetings to people in a way that they couldn't. This was a letter that was written and taken by a person and took ages. We can just send a message to show someone that we care for them, to encourage another Christian. We, I think last week of um, the, the uh, Blanche's dedication, we were able to see Amy on the screen, no doubt recorded beforehand, but she was able to send us her greetings to kind of, in a sense, be a part of the service with us. Or the opportunity to send an email for a specific situation, a specific issue to other Christians to be supported. We can genuinely partner for good. Remember, if you've been around in previous weeks, this is important to Paul because they're organising a collection of money for the Jerusalem church. Churches in need being supported by those in less need. We're not meant to live the Christian life alone. And churches are not meant to live the Christian life alone as isolated units. But rather we're to support others, to send greetings to others have a picture of the big. We need them. They need us. I don't know about you, if you've gone through Romans, but have you thought at times, I'm not sure I can do this. This all sounds like rather a big ask. Even this sort of unity thing is difficult because I know by tomorrow morning somebody or something will have wound me up. Loving others is really hard because they're not very lovely. And neither am I. I get the theory for unity. But actually, how do we do it? Well, When Paul finishes the letter, he doesn't say, have a good look at your problems. Look into your own heart." and you can change yourself he says it's not about you it's about him so lift your eyes up so third point gospel unity is doable forgive grammar etc verse 25 to 27 how do we do this how do we live like this How do we put into practice Romans? Well, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. One long sentence. Hard to say, but I think Paul is talking about discipleship. He's talking about church strategy. And he says at the heart of any strategy for Christian living or for a church to relate together, then you must have the gospel. We shouldn't be surprised by that because he's gone on for 16 chapters about the gospel. But foundationally, it's not about us and our efforts and our clever plans and our strategy. It's about him. It's about what he's done. This message that was hidden for ages past but has now been made known. As Peter says, this message that the angels long to look into but that we have the privilege to see. And it's the gospel and only the gospel that establishes a church, verse twenty-five, and grows from a church, verse twenty-six. So it's it's depth down, and then distance out. So notice how it establishes a church in verse twenty-five. Do you see it? You see this message that Paul proclaims: Jesus is my Lord. He's your Lord, and so we live together. We're united together. We're transformed by the gospel. We're growing in godliness. We're being honest about our sin because he already knows about it, and the gospel's already paid for it. And so these, these churches are, are established, and as a foundation in the gospel. But it's not just my Lord and your Lord. He's Lord of the whole world. And hence we go. Verse 26, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. In our back garden we've got some enormous trees. They're huge. They, are, they, kind of, they look enormous you look out and they're kind of over the house and you think, goodness, hopefully there's going to be no strong winds. But, but they've taken a long time to get that size. And once you actually dig down into the ground, you find there are roots everywhere. Roots that get into your drains and muck up your sewers and that kind of stuff. These are trees that are established and grown down. And now they're trees that send, for example, the sycamore. You've got these helicopters flying miles away because they're so tall. Well, so it is with churches. We're established in the gospel. We grow, we're rooted in Paul's message. And because we're rooted in Paul's message, then so we long for that message to go out. We long for the Gentiles to come to obedience. The obedience that comes from faith. God's plan has always been The Gentiles would be reached, that the ends of the earth would be blessed, as he said to Abraham. And Abraham's family, Israel, was to do that job. They were to be light in the darkness. They were to be distinctive. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. But they were pretty dull. They didn't really do the job that God gave them. And so he sends Jesus, not as a plan B, but as the plan had always been. He came from Galilee of the Gentiles. To reach the Gentiles. He is the true light. His wise plan has always been Jesus. This gospel. Which is why this gospel must be central to all of life. It's why Paul finishes on the gospel. That is what he wants to be ringing in our ears as we go through this week. We're established in the gospel. And it's the gospel that reaches the Gentiles. And it's why we want to plant churches at Magdalen Road. Because we see these little communities of light, unified people around the gospel, in a dark and cynical place. People who are no longer me-centered, but, but you-centered, looking to serve, looking to be different. Why? So that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. So around right about this time last year, we prayed and we fasted and we sent Cowley Church community to go reach that area. But Templar Square, Tim and Andy and others, are still part of Morton Rose. But they're being intentional thinking, how do we take this gospel out into the darkness? And who knows where we'll go from there? Another church? Think Rose Hill or Greater Lees or Temple Cowley or places that aren't that well served with churches. Think of Trinity Church. Peter and others feeling called to head to the centre of Oxford to particularly reach students and internationals, the communities there, these Gentiles, that they might come to know the obedience that comes from faith. But at the heart of any church must be the gospel. Only the gospel, the gospel that establishes us and that we send out. So as I take on the reins at Maldon Road Church, sometime later this year, whenever that will be, that would be my prayer, that we would increasingly be that kind of a church that is established, matured, discipled, grown up by this gospel message of Romans. But also the kind of church where the message of Jesus rings out that the folk around us can be reached as we, as we multiply, as we have these communities of people in East Oxford that we'd love to see impacted with this amazing news of Jesus by this gospel that Paul has written 16 chapters of. Let me encourage you, if you get a chance over the summer, to reread Romans. I think sometimes it's easy to just go chunk by chunk by chunk, but we miss the big picture. If you get an hour sometime over the summer, Perhaps on the beach. Why not read through and see the glorious gospel that changes lives and changes the world.